So I think we didn't start the 11 people, right? Anyone was here last week? We got like, we spent all that time and we didn't get to the 11, right? Is that what it was? Okay. Bismillah. All right. So to, to, to um, take it back for a moment, last week we uh, entered into the commentary of Imam Al-Muhasibi's statement, Rahimahullahu ta'ala wa nafa'allahu yahu bi'ulumihi fi darin, ameen, where he says, وَلَا تُخَالِطْ إِلَّا عَاقِلًا تَقِيًّا وَلَا تُجَالِسْ إِلَّا عَالِمًا بَصِيرًا وَقَدْ سُئِلَى النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَيُّ جُلَسَائِنَا خَيْرٍ this is where we left off. That Imam al-Muhasibi said, Rahimahullah, don't keep close company with anyone except someone who is a person of intellect and a person of taqwa. And don't sit in the company of anyone except a scholar who has deep and penetrating insight. One of the things to note about this wording is that We've talked about before this idea that a scholar cannot be a true scholar unless they master the outward sciences, but that they also apply them and in doing so master at some level the inward sciences. So they have level of spiritual excellence. And that's you know that that's what he means by the, his word choice. When he says alim and basiran, that this alim has to have this uh, insight, penetrating insight then that means that this person has combined between the outward and the inward. As one of the brothers, uh, we had a guest this morning, Sheikh Musa Sugupang in the Majlis San Diego, Hafilahullah. He was visiting from Cleveland. And he mentioned the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, where he said, That beware of the... vision, say sphere like the spiritual vision of the believer because they see, they look with the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's the idea that this person who ostensibly has a lot of knowledge and has spent time and dedication in, in practicing the religion and learning the religion, then there's from them a category of people who have actually this added component of some level of spiritual insight. So he says, these are the people that you should keep company with. And we spent some time talking about how the reality of life means that you deal with different people, right? But as we deal with different people, uh, there's people that we keep in our heart and there's people that we don't. And we should always be conscious of this. Who are we going to give our heart space and who are we not going to give our heart space to? There's a lot of things that happen in our communities and our, amongst our people. There's a lot of things that happen. There's a lot of things that are 
not done in the name of Islam, but they're done by Muslims. Sometimes they're done in the name of Islam, done by Muslims. Many of these things have nothing to do with the way of the Prophet wasallam. And if that's the case, then uh, we have to do our best to not give those things our heart space. And our heart space is reserved for those things that remind us of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, remind us of the way of the Prophet wasallam. So that even if we're in the company of other things, we choose what company we're going to keep internally. Of course, this is uh, you know, like most things that matter, easier said than done, right? And yet, it can still be done. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. And then he, he states this uh, statement of the Prophet وسلم, where he was asked, the Prophet was asked, who are the best people for us to sit with? And he said, those who, when you see them, you are reminded of Allah. And the narration continues, but it continues several pages after from the footnotes of Shaykh Abu Fatah, rahimahullah. And then he said, and also their knowledge, their, when, their speak, it, when they speak, it increases you in knowledge. And when they act, it increases you in remembrance of the hereafter. So these are the qualities. Actually, if we were to mention the entire hadith, the Prophet said these three things. The three people to sit with are the ones who, when you see them, you remember Allah. And when they speak, it, when they speak, it increases you in knowledge. And when they act, it reminds you of the hereafter. Okay, so those are the qualities. So we were on, uh, we spent the whole session last time basically on the first one, which, and we continue today on the first one. Those who, when you see them, you are reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So after the introductory kind of part on that, which was pretty substantial, He says, <coughs> so here's 11 examples of people throughout history who it was said about them that when you would see them, you would remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <laughs> so he's trying to show you that this is like, as we said last time, <coughs> there's understandings about life that are uh, passed down through the practice of the Muslims and especially amongst like the righteous people of knowledge and the scholars and stuff like this. The lived experience of Islam is passed down through that. Not just what you find in books and stuff like Actually, one of the big challenges is that when we take our religion from books, we get sometimes, uh, as, as crazy as this sounds, sometimes books can actually lead us astray. You know, we read the book, we understand something from it, but we didn't understand it properly. That's why one of our, one of our teachers, he would say about his teacher, he would say, he's the book. Don't worry, ask him which book should we read, what should we study. He said, don't worry about the book, he's the book. You just watch what he does, you understand what to do. Uh, so, uh, ideally these things come together, right? So the, the, what the Prophet them is, is he's the living example of the Qur'an, right? And the people who took from the Prophet them from the companions, they're the living example of what it means to follow the Prophet's way, and that was understood. So then what you would have is you had in the generation of the companions, especially in the generation after them, you have a people who took the teachings of the religion so seriously that they built an entire civilization and culture around it. Right? So this is a cultural point. The Prophet them says the best of people to be around are those who, if you see them, they remind you of Allah. And then you'll see from these stories that over the course of two, three, four hundred years, 
He has all these different narrations about all these different people that people understood. If you go to them, they're going to remind you of Allah. So now what do you have? You have a cultural understanding among the people that's based in the statement of the Prophet that we need to look for people like this. We need to search for them and spend time with them and so on and so forth. We're good. We're clear. We're caught up. Anyone who was in here last week? Inshallah. All right. Bismillah. Now we just have to find where. Oh, I went to one page too far. Okay, here we go. If you remember, I think the last narration that we talked about was this narration of the man who said, <coughs> <coughs> who said he went to the gatherings of Imam Ahmed for 12 years, and Imam Ahmed was reading his Musnad. The Musnad of Imam Ahmed is his, his hadith collection, 30,000 hadith. So Imam Ahmed was reading this to his, his, son, his, his children. Some of the main inheritors of the knowledge of Imam Ahmed were his, his sons, uh, Salih and uh, Abdullah in particular, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, anyways, he would be in this gathering, he's reading to his sons. So this man says, I attended this gathering for 12 years, and in the 12 years, I didn't write a single hadith. So the 12 years, all I did was I looked at, I looked at Ahmed. That's all I did. <laughs> Twelve years you go to the gathering, sit in the gathering and look at Imam Ahmed radiallahu ta'ala anhu. It makes you like, who were these people? And sometimes I sit I just think about like, who were these people? SubhanAllah. He said, اِخْتَلَفْتُ إِلَىٰ أَبِي عَبْدَ اللَّهِ أَحْمَدِ بِنْ حَمَّدِ ثِنْتَيْ عَشْرَةَ سَنَةً وَهُوَ يَقْرَوَ الْمُسْنَرَ عَلَىٰ أَوْلَادِهِ فَمَا كَتَبْتُ مِنْهُ حَدِيثًا وَاحِدًا إِنَّمَا كُنْتُ أَنْظُرُ إِلَىٰ هَدْيِهِ وَأَخْلَاقِهِ وَأَدَابِهِ I would look at how he carried himself and how his character was and how his manners were. That's it. That's what he did for 12 years. Now he gives us 11 examples. First example is uh, of, of these people. Is a tabi'i. He's a tabi'i. Amr ibn Maymun. Amr ibn Maymun. As, as we mentioned before, remember that and the Salihin tends in Rahmah. That Sufyan ibn Uyayna, one of the great Imams, he said, when you mention the names of the righteous people, mercy descends. Mercy descends. I have a tangent about women in a second, but we do the first one first. Okay? So he says, uh, <coughs> This man, Amr ibn Maymun, he came with Mu'adh ibn Jabal to Yemen and he came to Kufa. And he was a righteous person who was devoted to worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he made Hajj and Umrah a hundred times. Sounds like a big number, but if you think about it, it's not actually. Like if you're Imam Abu Hanifa used to make Hajj every year. He's in Kufa, he just you know, walk or take a camel, go to Hajj, come back. <laughs> so if you make 30 Hajj, you probably made at least 30 Umrah already right? Because you make one Umrah with your Hajj Usually You might make two right? So already you're at 90 So in 30 years you make 90 Hajj and Umrah It's not actually so uh, <laughs> Probably some people in our community have done that actually If you think about it, people who have taken Umrah They go Umrah, one or two Umrah groups a year so They take two a year and they do that for 15 years They've made Assuming they made only one Umrah each time they went They already made 30 Umrahs, right? Actually, possible. So he says he made a hundred Umrahs, Hajj and Umrah. And his student Abu Ishaq al Sabi'i, Kana ida ru'ya, he said about him, Kana ida ru'ya, Dukir Allah ta'ala. 
and he died in 75 after Hijra. That's it. That's it. His students said about him, if you saw him, you, you remembered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a story I heard about this one time. I just remembered it. But I have a bad problem with not remembering the stories correctly. So I'll give you the gist of the story. This is a modern story. Like someone told the story and he saw it happen. Okay, so this is not a... So there was a gathering and a bunch of ulama were there and stuff. And some of them didn't know each other. And some of them were talking to each other and then one of them entered. And as soon as one of them entered, another one saw him, and he immediately started to make salah on the Prophet He saw the Shaykh, and he was like, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. They're like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know, I just, <laughs> it's coming out, right? And they said, what's happening? And then they found out, they, as they looked around, they talked, they found out that this man, you know, that he, when he, that he saw, this man would make extremely large amounts of salah on the Prophet every day. So when the, other, when the other person of knowledge saw him, the first thing that immediately... Because we talked about yesterday, right? I mean, not yesterday, last week. The issue of the heart and the face and how the face drinks from the water of the heart. So if a person has certain things in their heart, then their face will, see, will show on their face. And then when you see them, you see it on your face and it enters your heart. So this is what happened. The man was making a lot of salawat on the Prophet wasallam. So the other person saw him immediately. He said, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. It's amazing. Yeah, subhanAllah. Some people will hear a story like that, like, Astaghfirullah, he's making him a prophet. He's not, he's not, he's not, he didn't do any of that. He just made salah on the Prophet. It's okay, it's good to make salah on the Prophet. My tangent about women, because we're going to read all these stories, none of them are going to be women. Right? They're all going to be men. There's different ways we can understand that, you know? The way I prefer to understand this, and I've, I, I, or, or, I shouldn't say that. One of the things that I think of, and I think I've mentioned it here before, but maybe it bears repeating, is that one of the core characteristics of our religion is actually sitr. Okay, it's, it's to conceal things. That as much as we can conceal between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the better. And so you even have in history like a category of righteous people who would make it look like they're not righteous. You know, they try to avoid doing things that are outwardly haram, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't make it look like they're righteous in any sort of way. So nobody would really think about that. They wouldn't think about them that way. So their own relationship with Allah can just be between them and Allah. Nobody else is involved in it, right? So this idea is like, as much as I can conceal between me and Allah, the better. And even many of the, um, uh, the male scholars, many of them, they took this to heart. Like it said about Imam al-Shafi'i that he used to say, I wish I could teach this knowledge to people and they would forget where it came from, meaning him. Right? Like he wishes, I could teach this to people, they would forget that they took it from me. And they would just, you know, know about the religion and practice the religion. And I, so we should assume actually that even if we, read, if we read tens of thousands of stories of righteous men, we should assume that the actual righteous men were hundreds of thousands far greater than the ones that we read about. And many, like, there's people who are extremely influential people in the world, in the physical realm, in the spiritual realm, extremely powerful and influential, but we don't know who they are, all throughout history. We should assume that. And I think that by nature of the way many societies were and stuff like that, that was even 
easier in a sense for women. That they didn't have to take prominent positions, they didn't have to write things that would get studied. They, didn't, they had students, we know that they had students. And we know that the influence is there because when you start to read the biographies kind of carefully, you see it all the time. Like so-and-so uh, so read with this person and so-and-so read with that person, but it's kind of like underneath the cover a little bit. And um, I think like, if we were to look at it from a different angle, these righteous women were able to do what a lot of the men who became known probably wish they could have done, which is to, it's just between them and Allah and nobody knows. You know, and it's not like as uh, really good, different occupation. All right, story number two. Kana Tabi and Janine will Imam and Fakim Mohammed bin Sirin and Basri and Mutwafa Sana one ten. Rahimullah Ta'ala, the Janessa Ilayan Nas had death own, what the Haddathu and the who were Dahika was Sada and an Akbar. فإذا سئل عن شيء من الفقه والحلال والحرام تغير لونه وتبدل حتى كأنه ليس بالذي كان وكان إذا ذكروا عنده رجلا بسيئة ذكره بأحسن ما يعلم قال تلميذاه هشام بن حسان الأزدي وأيوب بن كيسان السختياني أو السختياني البصريان ما رأينا أحد أعظم رجاء لأهل القبلة من ابن سيرين. Okay, so this is the introduction. Ibn Sirin. Ibn Sirin is an interesting figure. Again, he actually, Subhanallah, he's a good case study. Ibn Sirin is kind of a famous name. You know who else was very famous in his time? The, his two sisters. I think one of them was named Hafsa, and the other one I can't remember her name right now. Subhanallah. <laughs> <laughs> but they were also known to be very righteous and knowledgeable people in his time. But usually you hear about Ibn Sirin. SubhanAllah. So Ibn Sirin was from the Tabi'in. He died in 110 after Hijrah. And it's said about him that if people sat with him, and they spoke, and he spoke, and they had conversation, he would laugh and ask about what's going on with them, and so on and so forth. They would have normal conversation, right? And if he was asked about something that related to fiqh, or halal and haram, then his color would change. And he would transform as if he was different than what he was before. As if he was someone different than what he was before. So, uh, do you understand the point? So he'd be doing his thing, he's sitting, he's talking, he's conversing, everything is fine. Someone asks about a matter of halal and haram, then everything changes. You know, this is not light conversation anymore. Uh, and I think we came across this narration, light conversation on this on this topic. I know we say this to be polite, like when we say, it's just a quick question. I just have a quick question. We say it because we're trying to be polite, all right? So, you know, no blame on anyone. Okay. One time, Imam Malik came. Someone came to him. They asked him a question, and he didn't really answer it. And someone said, oh, it's just, uh, someone in the gathering said, it's just khafif, yeah. you know, Imam Malik, like it's just a light thing, just a small thing. And he said, subhanAllah, wa ilmi shay khafif. Like, is there anything that's khafif in the matters of knowledge? Like, it's a matter, it's a matter of the religion of Allah and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is there anything khafif? Like, if there's anything actually light, if I'm going to speak on this, it's a big deal. 
right? So he, he had this. Um, so and and that's narrated from generation upon generation of people that they would have this response. So. Uh, so one, one, I may have mentioned this, but one, one sheikh that I was listening to something from him, and he's a big sheikh in, in knowledge. I don't know about other things, but definitely in knowledge, he's a, he's a big sheikh. He said his opinion is these televised fatwa question and answer shows, he thinks they're haram. And uh, his reasoning is because you should be able to say, I don't know. And he's like, and have you ever watched one of these shows? And the mufti says, I don't know. Like so, something's not right about this. <laughs> it's not possible that everyone can answer. Someone can answer every question that comes to them immediately off the top of their head with no issues. He's like, and they say, oh, because we want to benefit people. People have questions and so on and so forth. He's like, okay, let them write their questions, and you can receive them, and you can do some research. And then you can come on the television and give them proper answers, and they'll still benefit. It'll be even better. But to do this, he <laughs> he didn't like it. Subhanallah. Anyways, Ibn Sirin, his color changed. And if someone was mentioned in a negative way in his presence, then he would mention the best that he knew about that person. And his two students, Hisham ibn Hassan and Ayyub ibn Kaysan, they said about him. So good about that is that now you notice his two students are saying the same thing. Right? So it's like one thing if one person sees it, two people see it, whatever. You see, two of them are noticing the same thing. They said, we never saw anyone who had more hope in the people of the Qibla than Ibn Sirin. SubhanAllah. They say that... Uh, where does it go? Laysa shay'un yujadu fawqahu I can't remember it anyways. The point is, the two best things that a person can hope for with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to like have good in their character is to think well of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to think well of the servants of uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they said about Ibn Sirin that they never saw someone who had more hope and like goodwill towards the people of the Qibla. And if he remembered death, then every one of his limbs died. He would be overtaken by it. And if he walked through the marketplace, nobody saw him except that they remembered Allah. <laughs> nobody saw him except that they remembered Allah. It's pretty amazing. Some of these people, like it's a narrative from the Sahaba, right? That there was one Sahabi, I can't remember right now, but it's in Riyal the Sanahim. That he would go to the marketplace every day, he would walk around the marketplace, he'd say salam to everyone. And then there was another who would go with him. And he asked him one day, he's like, why do you do this every day? You know, you go to the market every day and you say salam to everyone, but you don't buy anything. You don't buy anything, you don't sell anything, you just walk through, say salam. He's like, he's like yeah, we go so that we could say salam to everyone. That's what we go for. <laughs> we go because the Prophet said, He said, Spread salam between you. So we go to the market, we just walk around, say salam to everyone. We come back. So these people used to do that. So Ibn Sirin probably didn't have anything to do in the market. 
And he walks through the market, says salam to people, everyone who sees him, they remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a great benefit. It's a great benefit. You know? It's better than a text message every morning at 7 a.m. with a hadith or something. <laughs> nothing bad in that. That's a good thing. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'd rather see Ibn Sirin. Radiallahu anh. Ibn Sirin was also narrated about him that uh, sometimes they would be in his gathering. And his voice would go quiet. And they say, well, what's going on? You know, or they'd be in his gathering and he would stand up. And they're like, Sheikh, what's going on? And he's like, my mother, she just passed by. My, my mother passed by, I had to lower my voice, like, stand up. It's a beautiful religion. Can Imam Hassan al-Basri, next one, and Hassan al-Basri also died in 110. After Hijra. He was very similar to Ibn Sirin. In that, when people that if he was seen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would be remembered. It was said to Yunus ibn Basri. He said, do you know anyone who does the kind of deeds and actions that Hassan al-Basri does? Okay. He said, He said, I don't know anyone who speaks the way that he speaks, so how can I see anyone who does what he does? Like, forget doing what he does. I haven't even seen anyone that speaks the way that he speaks. Then he described him and he said, He said he would come and he would come as if he was coming from the burying of his relative. And he would sit as if he was sitting and his head was about to be cut off. And if the hellfire was mentioned, it was as if it was only made for him. Now that's how like present he was with his relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. SubhanAllah. One of the people who kept the company of Al-Hasan. He said, He said, we would enter upon Hasan. And when we leave, we wouldn't think that there was this dunya meant anything. We would enter, we have all these things in our mind, all these things in our heart. We enter, and then we leave, it's all those things are gone. I told you before, one of, one of my, inshallah, he's one of my teachers. Um, we were driving one time, and I told him, I said, Shaykh, you know, I always have all these questions. I want to ask you when I'm going to see you. I like write down my questions. I have questions I want to ask. And he said, uh, I said, but then when I see you, I don't have any questions to ask anymore. And, and then he said, you know, the same thing happens to me when I sit with my sheikh. <laughs> okay. So they would go into his presence and they would leave and as if there's nothing in the dunya. وقال يونس بن عبيد كان الرجل إذا نظر إلى الحسن انتفع به وإن لم يرى عمله ولم يسمع كلامه يونس بن عبيد the same one from before he said 
that if someone saw Al Hassan, they would benefit from just seeing him, even if they didn't see his actions and they didn't hear his speech. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he died in 110. He was a very famous figure. It's said about him also. Qala Matar al-Warraq, kana Jabir ibn Zayd al-Basri al-Faqih al-Alim bi kitab al-Lah. Rajula ahl al-Basra. Falamma zahar al-Hasan, jaa rajulun ka'annama kana fi al-Akhirah. Amazing state. They said this man Jabir ibn Zayd, he was in Basra. He was the scholar and like this Rajula Ahnul Basra. He was the man of Basra. Right? He was like the top figure of Basra. And then they said when Al Hassan came, it was as if he came from the Akhirah and he was telling people about what he saw and what he witnessed. Things changed after that. He became Al Hassan now. Next one. Ja'far ibn, ibn Sulaiman, he said, Ja'far ibn Sulaiman, he said, Kuntu idha wajadtu fi qalbi qaswa, ghadawtu fa nadhartu ila wajhi Muhammad ibn Wasi' al-Basri, ka'annahu thakla. Wa huwa tilmeeth al-Imam Hassan al-Basri. Wa ahad al-Ulama al-Ubad al-Sulaha al-Zuhad al-Mujahideen fi sabirillah, he died in 132. So, um, this man is Muhammad ibn Wasi'. Muhammad ibn Wasi'. He, he also had this uh, strength to his presence. He died in 132 after Hijrah. Uh, he didn't mention it here, but there's something that's said about Muhammad ibn Wasi' that's also extremely important, you know. Um, and it's a story about Qutaybah ibn Muslim. Qutaybah ibn Muslim was a general of the Muslim army. And it said that they were going to one of the battles. And as they were approaching the battle, and like, you know, he's looking over his camp and everything. And he's asking, where's Muhammad ibn Wasi'? People are like, he's just in the masjid, you know, like they probably, when they're making camp, they probably have like a little place where they pray, right? So, so he's just in the masjid with his finger raised. Kind of like, you know, we're going into battle, this guy's over here making dhikr or something, right? And Qutayba said, Muhammad ibn Wasi' with his finger raised remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more beloved to me than 100,000 swords in the hands of 100,000 strong young soldiers. And this is a different perspective, right? Him with his finger raised is more important to me than 100,000 swords. 100,000 soldiers. Muhammad ibn Wasi' with his finger raised. Okay? So you think about that. Like we have to also, when we're thinking about political things or thinking about social things, right? Like there's there's a merit to this side of things too. It's not only just strategy and, and how to do this and how to do that and so on and so forth. It's like who's Muhammad ibn Wasir? Is he making dua? Is he who are these people who we can go to and ask them for their dua, ask them for their blessings, stuff like this. Okay, next. Al Imam al Hafid Hisham ibn Hassan al Qudusi al Basri. I think it's different than the other Hisham ibn Hassan that came before because the other one was Al Azdi. And he died in 148. And he was from the Bakka'een and Abidin. He was from the people who used to cry a lot. 
That's important. He used to cry a lot and he used to make a lot of worship. He used to cry a lot and he make a lot of worship. This is a category, they know them. People who cry a lot. You know, because they're so serious in their worship that they're always crying. Because they're so present with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they'd be crying a lot. And it's important, why I said this is important, because uh, Should I go out on this limb? Let me figure out how to say this so it's not as deep of a jump. I believe that it's fair to assume from our tradition that it's an important aspect of a person's manhood for them to be able to cry. But for them to be able to cry in the right times for the right reasons. And uh, one of the things that I always think about when I, I read these things is that Men, uh, forgive me, we have to have a tangent for men. Men are made at the hands of men, and the greatest maker of men was the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And uh, and one of the great great legacies of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is the legacy of making men. Then he would take people, he would make men out of them, and he put things in the right place, and he'd fix them, and he'd put things where they need to be, and give the people the guidance they need to be need to have in order to become who they could become. But that has to happen on the hands of actual men. It's not going to happen on the hands of social media personalities and people who have a lot of likes because they say vulgar things and because they cater to your nafs. That's not going to make you a man. You, know? you cannot be a man if you're a servant of your nafs. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. <coughs> then you're just a child. That's what children do. Children are servants to their nafs. If you want to be a servant to your nafs, then you're a male, but you're not a man. Muhammad ibn Wasir, and these people, is Hisham ibn Hassan, is from the people who are the Bakka'in. There's no question that these people were the greatest of men. But they were crying all the time out of worship and to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we shouldn't assume that that meant that they were neglecting anything else, any other responsibility that they had. They did what they needed to do. And at the same time, they're able to have that balance. SubhanAllah. Look at, look at this story about him. It was brought to his door, camels and provisions and food, so that he can make hajj. So everything he needed to make hajj was brought to his door. You're ready now, you can make hajj. And that made his mother upset. And she became very disturbed by this. فَبَطَّلَ سَفْرَهُ لِلْحَجِّ مِنْ أَجْلِهَا فَلَمَّا تُوفِيَتْ كَانَ لَا الْحَجِّ so, because she was so upset, he canceled his plans to go to Hajj. So, after she passed away, he never left the Hajj. He would make it all the time. But when she was alive, he canceled the Hajj to stay with her. He said he used to fast all the time, basically every day, except for the day of Friday, because it would make his mom upset if, she, if he fasted every single day. And then after she passed away, he fasted every single day. Hamad ibn Salama is a big person. 
Ahmad ibn Salam said, Kanat ru'yatu Hisham ibn Hassan tubki. He said, Hamad ibn Salam said, if all you did was see Hisham, you would start crying. If you saw him, you would start crying. You would just be shook up. There's people like I've heard stories like this. I know someone personally. This individual saw someone and they just broke down crying. Of course, keep in mind the Sharia, because some people are just shaitani. This is a huge side point. You don't want to delve into it, okay? <laughs> Keep in mind the Sharia, follow the Sharia, follow the Prophet Don't rely only on your emotions. Also, not not all of us are very, we're not always entirely emotionally stable. So it might not be that our emotion is actually something we should be trusting, right? But, um, and, and some people, they have other ways of doing things. I can't really say more than that, because I don't even know how I would say it. But some people have effect on other people by not necessarily like good things. Maybe they, whatever, maybe they're just imposters, maybe they know how to play the game, maybe they studied charisma, maybe they did any number of different things. So they know how to interact. Some people are very corrupt. You know, they know how to talk to you, they know how to interact with you, they know how to say this thing or say that thing or whatever, and they use it to manipulate people. So sometimes like, you know, always, like we said before, we always want to keep ilm, like our emotions and our intellect together. You don't just completely follow our emotions without using our intellect, and we don't completely use our intellect without having some sort of awareness of our hearts. Okay? We keep them together, develop them together. Don't turn into a bunch of weirdos. Thank you. Oh, there goes my bookmark. It's my UCSD parking ticket, like parking pass. From July, what day is it? Thank you, Ayan. July 14, 2023. Isn't that really recent? That's hmm. hmm. okay. If it blows over my head, we'll hold it. You'll be fine. Don't worry. All right, next one. Abdullah bin Shawdab and Khurasani and Banqi. And Khurasani and Banqi. A lot of great people came from Khurasan. Afghans should be proud. A lot of great people came from Khurasan. 156, he died in 156. And then he lived in Basra, he lived in Jerusalem. Uh, and his student said, SubhanAllah, look at that one. قال تلميذه كثير بن الوليد كنت إذا نظرت إلى عبد الله بن شوذب ذكرت ملائكة. He said if I his student said about him if I looked at Abdullah bin Shawdab I would remember the angels. Look at I remember the angels. He died in 156. Uh, next person is Abdul Aziz ibn Abi Rawad and Mecca died in 159. قال عبد الله بن مبارك about him. Abdullah bin Mubarak, also a really big figure, a uh, scholar of hadith, scholar of different things. He was, a, he was in the study circle of Imam Abu Hanifa, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He said, Kana yatakallamu wa dumu'uhu tasinu ala khaddihi. Again, you know, like it's, it's like almost mutawatir, who the, uh, these people and they're crying, right? So this man, Abdullah Aziz ibn Abi Rawad, he, would, he says, it was said about him, he would speak and the tears would be running down his cheeks. Tears would run down his cheeks as he's speaking. 
And his other student, Shu'ib ibn Harb, he said, if I looked at Abdul Aziz ibn Abi Rawad, رَأَيْتُ كَأَنَّهُ يَطَّلِعُ إِلَى الْقِيَامَةِ أي يَنظُرُ إِلَى أَهْلِ الْقِيَامَةِ وَهُمْ فِيهَا He said, if I looked at him, it was as if he's seeing the, seeing the events of the Day of Judgment. Like that's what I saw on him. That it's as if he's seeing the, the events of the Day of Judgment. Okay, I'm starting to lose you. Number eight, we're almost there. Number eight. And then there in the biography of Malik ibn Anas, radiallahu ta'an, Imam Malik, who died in 176. قال مصعب بن عبد الله كان مالك إذا ذكر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عنده تغير لونه وانحنى حتى يصعب ذلك على جلسائه فقيل له يوما في ذلك فقال لو رأيتم لما أنكرتم علي ما ترون كنت آتي محمد بن المنكدر وكان سيد القراء أي سيد العلماء لا نكاد نسأله عن حديث إلا بكى حتى نرحمه so Imam Malik, it's said about Imam Malik that when the Prophet ﷺ was mentioned to him, his color would change and he would kind of like do like this. It's also said about Imam Malik that he wouldn't wear his, shoes, his slippers in Medina. He walked barefoot in Medina. Because he's, where there might be a spot that if he steps on it, he step on the same spot as the Prophet ﷺ. So he walk around Medina with no no sandals or shoes on. He would never ride his dabba in Medina. Never ride his animal like his mule or his donkey. He doesn't ride it in Medina. You can practice this actually. They say I don't know if it's true or not, but they say that the uh, the gates around the Masjid Nebawi represent kind of like the end of the old city. So it's actually easy to do now because it's all marble. Once you get inside the gates, it's all marble. You can just take your shoes off and. Follow the Sunnah of Imam Malik. So his color would change and he would get kind of like upset. To the point that it would it would disturb the people who were with him. So one time they asked him about that, or they said something to him about that. And he's like, This thing that you're upset about, he's like, You should see. I used to be with Muhammad ibn Munkadir, and he was the great scholar of, of his time. And any it's almost every time we asked him about a hadith of the Prophet them he would cry so profusely that we would have mercy on him. We'd feel like, you know, feel sad for him. We'd be upset with him. That's how he would act if we asked him about a hadith of the Prophet Of course, we know also about Malik, what he would do, right? That if someone came, they wanted to hear a hadith from him, he would wash and he would burn incense and he would put on cologne and then he would come out and he would narrate the hadith of the Prophet Imam Malik also says, and I used to go to Jafar ibn, Muh- ibn Muhammad, well, Imam Jafar al-Sadiq. Jafar ibn Muhammad is Imam Jafar al-Sadiq, rahimahullah. They say that he was the Shaykh of Malik in terms of like, and Abu Hanifa. Allahu uh, Alam. Anyways, he says, I would go to Imam Jafar al-Sadiq, and he was someone he would laugh a lot, he would joke a lot, he would have a good time, stuff like this. And if the Prophet was mentioned, his, his color would change. And he said, and then Malik also says, and anytime I would find a hardness in my heart, I would go to Muhammad ibn Munkadir. 
and all of the righteous people would come to him in order to take from his guidance in the way that he acted, in the way that his, in his righteousness. And they would just, uh, and, he, and Maddox says, and I would look at him a glance. He says, I would take one glance at him, and that would suffice to keep me in line for many days. It's like, this is, now that, that just seeing him, then I would stay in line for many days. All right, we're almost there. Number nine. Maybe we shouldn't finish. We should just not even try to finish. We should just eat dinner. I think the dinner's. Uh, is it ready to go? One more, one more, and then we'll stop. Uh, also, it comes in the biography of Al-Fudayl ibn Iyad and Khurasani, hmm? then in Mecca, who died in 187. Al-Fudayl ibn Iyad. Al-Fudayl was known to be basically a criminal. It's amazing. He was, no, he was like a highway robber and stuff. And then he made tawbah, and he became one of the greatest people. He died in 187. It was said about him. His servant said about him, Ibrahim ibn Ash'at, who was the Khadim of Al-Fudayl. His servant said about him, مَا رَأَيْتُ أَحَدٍ كَانَ اللَّهُ فِي صَدْرِهِ أَعْظَمَ مِنْ Al-Fudayl. That I never saw someone who Allah was bigger in their heart than Fudayl. Like it's just tears. كَانَ إِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهَ عِنْدَهُ أَوْ سَمِعَ الْقُرْآنَ ظَهَرَ بِهِ أَنْ خَوْفُ مِنْ حُزْنِ If Allah was mentioned, or you heard the Qur'an being recited, then like... Uh, this awareness and fear and kind of like sadness. He was known to be like the Imam of Huzn. Known to be someone who's overwhelmed with sadness. That was like his... People have different flavors in their relationship with Allah. Some people, their relationship with Allah is, is kind of like melancholy. Some people, their relationship with Allah is very joyous. Some people, their relationship with Allah is very kind of straight line, you know. People have different things. So Fulayl was known to be, uh, to have that. Then his eyes would tear up and he would cry again. His eyes would tear up and he would cry. This is literally someone who, he was part of a gang that would rob people. That's, that's what he was known for. People would fear Fudayl. They'd be like, don't travel at night because Fudayl and his, his people might like take our caravan and stuff. That's what he was known for, you know. And then he, become, he has Toba. He would hear the Quran. His, his eyes would tear up, you know. And then people in his gathering would feel mercy for him. As someone else said, uh, Abdullah bin Qanudi Abdullah bin Mubarak, then Nadartu, as his Khalid bin Rabah said to Abdullah bin Mubarak, he said, If I looked at Fudayl, sadness would enter my heart and I would cry. Again, it's in his heart and he sees it and then it goes into his heart. Sadness is okay, by the way. Like, watch Inside Out, it's a great movie. That's what animation is made for. When I watched that movie, I was like, This is what animation is made for. This is that's, that's good, mashallah. Whether or not. Animation is halal, different question. But as a, uh, a very powerful movie shows you, sadness is very important. You know, if it becomes overwhelming and debilitating and stuff like that, it's different. But to be able to deal with our sadness and have sadness, and people again will have different temperaments in that regard. That was Any questions or comments that anyone has before we break for dinner?
Yes. It was, it was already known. It was like public knowledge, you know? Yeah, if, if, if that wasn't known, then probably better to not talk about it. But it's public knowledge in his case. It's a good question because the whole sitter and concealment thing, it's, it can definitely get very complicated. Maybe if someone has a past and it's not known and there's no reason to, to reveal it, then it's good for them to not reveal certain things. You know, they don't need to bring it up or talk about it or share it um, unnecessarily. Maybe sometimes there might be limited reasons why someone might share stuff like that. You know, and then of course there's other issues of sitter that relate to like public benefit and the protection of the people and stuff like that, which are a different category. You know, we're not talking about. Uh, it cannot be anyone who's attended regularly knows uh, that we don't take that in kind of like a blanket thing but uh, sometimes sometimes concealment is not an option sometimes people do certain things that concealment is not an option but those are very difficult cases to figure out might want to help us and guide us okay, yes